Corinthians chapter number 8. While you're turning there, you know, we may have to just stay. It may be the weather. It may be the men's breakfast. It may be the chili cook-off. It may be the cupcakes. We may just have to stay. Well, probably won't be that long. Anyway, great to be with you today. You know, this is one of those days when things aren't going as you planned, right? That's what you could write over 2020. Things didn't go as we planned. Nancy and I, excuse me, became full-time with the Gospel Furthering Fellowship on March the 1st of last year, shortly after we were with you. My title is the Director of Missionary Care, so a big part of our ministry is ministering to missionaries. And I can tell you that 2020 did not go as expected. We expected to be in Nepal in November, and we expected to be in Spain in November, and we expected a lot of other things to happen, but they didn't. But you know, I want to say to you that it was a great year. I mean, 2020 was just a great year. God's in control. Nothing ever takes him by surprise. Every now and then, you know, I, all of a sudden I go like this, and I think, oh, no, guess what? I forgot. God never forgets anything. He never says, do you know what happened? Never says that. And so when things don't go as planned, today's one of those days that when you're a pastor, and I was one for a long time, it sort of rattles you a little bit. I'm not speaking of your pastor specifically, but, you know, God's in control, amen? And so we know that he's going to minister to us. A couple things, stop by our display if you're able, and a couple things to call your attention. We have a brand new subject uh, brochure on the subject of missionary care. And we're kind of amazed and have learned in this year in our circles among independent Baptists, there's not a lot of emphasis and conversation about the subject of missionary care. So we put together a brochure. It's brand new. The UPS man delivered it on Thursday evening, and we left to come on Friday. And so we want you to pick them up and uh, read about the subject of missionary care. Then there's also a card there. And it says on the top, though, Troubles Assail. Now, you might be thinking, well, that's a strange title. It is. It's the title of a hymn. It's a, it was a hymn written by John Newton. You know who John Newton was? Well, you do. He wrote Amazing Grace. But there are loads of hymns, thousands of hymns that go off into obscurity. We could say it that way because a hymn book can't contain them all. All right? When hymns no longer are popular, they sort of go off the scene. This is a hymn. And um, the Lord, I don't know, I really don't know how I came across this hymn, and I was speaking about it one day, and somehow, I don't remember how this happened, one of our supporters heard me speaking of it, and he went out and had 2,000 of these printed for us. We didn't ask, he just had them printed. And the reason we make it available is because of the last four words. There's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven stanzas. Would you like me to sing it to you? You shouldn't be shaking your head yes. I don't sing by any means, but every stanza ends with these words, the Lord will provide. And so we encourage people to take these. You could take them all. You could put your own label on them. You could leave them in a, as a tract in a restaurant because people need to be reminded the Lord will provide. Amen? And so as you're considering your mission giving, it's good for us to remember that the Lord will provide. And it's just been amazing this year. So we, I became the director of missionary care on the 1st of March. I got my last paycheck from the Chapel Baptist Church two days, uh, three days before. Thursday was payday. Stopped getting paid from the Chapel Baptist Church that Thursday. And uh, I'm here to tell you that our bills are all paid. God, it's just amazing what God has done. I'll tell you more about it, a couple of answers during the afternoon service when we 
think about uh, the fact that God, uh, faith honors God and God honors faith. And it's just a wonderful thing to just trust, trust God and watch God work. It's just amazing. So we're really uh, blessed to be back with you again, and I trust the Lord will challenge you. So Joshua Harris, we met in that PCC. Part of our role is to represent GFF. We go to PCC twice a year, recruiting missionaries. Met Joshua Harris there and got on his prayer letter list. We, we get a lot of missionary prayer letters almost every day, so I was really glad to hear that you had him here. I don't know him very well, but, you know, it's really a blessing. And your own missionaries, the Morrises, we uh, get their prayer letter. And I, I usually thank missionaries for their letter just to kind of build a bridge to them. I don't expect everyone to do that, but we, I've exchanged emails with Keith a couple times. And that's just a blessing to be a missionary sending church. So God is good. Amen. And um, so we're looking for the Lord to minister to us today. So things aren't the way they planned, but the, the, the important announcement has been made. There's enough food. Like there's no, you don't go to a Baptist church and there not be enough food. That just, if that happens, it's not good. So um, anyway, we're glad to be here and we trust the Lord will minister to you today. Fellowship around the table, fellowship around the word. And you just asking God, God, what would you have me to give to missions? It's not between me and you. It's not between you and the pastor. I don't know what you give, won't know what you give. It's none of my business. But uh, it's just a blessing to be involved in taking the gospel to the regions beyond. A couple of verses in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse number 8 and verse number 9. Wrong. Verse 7 and verse 8. Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith, in utterance, in knowledge, <clears throat> excuse me, and in all diligence, and in your love to us, see that ye abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others, and to prove the sincerity of your love. And let's pray. Dear God, thank you for this church and the blessing it is to be here. Lord, thank you for the pastor and his wife and your good hand and blessing on them and their ministry. Thank you for the church people. Lord, a church is really people. It's not a building. Really, it's not even the pastor, as important role that is. It's the people. So we thank you for the people that make up this church. And we pray your blessing on those who are here and those who are not able to be here. We pray your blessing on them as well. Now, Lord, thank you for the word it's good for us to stop and remember that we have the word of God in our own language. Lord, and many don't. So your word says that to whom much are given, much will be required. And so we pray that you would help us to be good stewards of what we hear from the word this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm very sensitive to at least three things. Thing number one is this. When the subject of a sermon sounds like it's money, the devil's quick to use that to blind the minds of unsaved people. Amazing verse, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, the God of this world blinds the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ is the image of God should shine unto them. Do you know how long that blindness lasts? It lasts till they open their eyes in hell. So when it sounds like the subject is money, the devil often whispers, not literally, but figuratively in the figuratively in the harder mind of an, a person who's not sure that if they died, they'd go to heaven. See, church is all about money. Well, it's not. I'm here to assure you it's not, but I'm sensitive to that. Number two, I'm sensitive to the fact that when someone else suggests what we should do with our money, we don't like that. I don't like it. You don't like it. When it sounds like, I think they're telling me what to do with my money. Most of us don't like that. I have good news. I am not here to tell you what to do with your money. But I am here to challenge you and me to consider what God would have us do with our, with our money. And then the third thing that I'm sensitive about 
is the churches and pastors, they have an established understanding of the Bible and finances and all these things. And the last thing a pastor wants a guest speaker to do is to come in and rock the boat. You know? So I'm, I'm aware of that, have no intention of doing any, uh, any of those things. With, with that said, in the New Testament, it seems like there are at least three kinds of giving. I'm going to tell you when I'm done with the introduction because this is pretty familiar, I think, to most of you. And so just let me quickly say, the first that we often refer to as a tithe, and I don't want you to get hung up on the word tithe. The word mean tithe means 10%. I'm not here to argue, discuss, deliberate, create an issue. I want you to think of a tithe as this, your regular systematic giving to the church. You go to work or you're retired, you get paid, and God says, I want you to give this much money to the church from what I gave to you on a regular basis. Can I say it this way? To pay the bills. So when I use the word tithe, I'm only speaking, well, I'm trying to emphasize the regular systematic giving that a person gives to their church. The second kind of giving you find in the New Testament is what we often call an offering. Our regular systematic giving finances the church budget most places. Whereas an offering is something over and above what you can put into the church budget. Let's say the church needed a new piano. By the way, that piano playing was fabulous. Is there anything you can't do, brother? Like baker, piano player? I'll tell you what, you bring the baked goods, I'll eat them. You play the piano, I'll listen, you play, I'll eat. It'll be just great. Let's say a church needs a new piano. A piano in a church budget is a budget buster. Do you follow what I'm saying? In the average church, that would be a lot of money. So a church says, listen, church, we, you know, I know we know that you give regularly and systematically. We need a new piano. It's not part of the church budget. So maybe you would prayerfully consider giving an offering. So let's talk in terms of $10. I get paid $10. I decide God wants me to give 10% of that, and I'm not trying to push that on you. Not, that's not the issue at all. So I give a dollar of that in the offering every week. I get paid, I give it. And then the church says, we need a piano. We can't afford one. So I look at the nine I have left, and I say, now, God, how much could I give to help uh, buy that help buy that piano? And I'm talking on a weekly basis. Now, you're thoroughly going to be confused because your commitment's a yearly basis. I can't say don't let me. I specialize in confusing people. Anyhow, so then I look and I say, well, God, I've got nine left. Now, I've got other obligations. Is there, of what I have left, is there something I could give to help buy a piano? We call that an, an offering. So my regular systematic giving requires two things. It requires math, because I need to figure out how much God wants me to give, and it requires obedience. If you consider this church your church, God expects you to help pay the bill. That's just the way that it is. Then, an offering to give to help with this fictitious piano. It, uh, it, it, do, it doesn't take regular systematic giving. I'm going to look at what I have. I've got nine left. What could I give? What an offering takes is generosity. How much do I think of what I have left I could part with to be able to help meet this, this special need? The third kind of giving that you find in the New Testament is what we often refer to as um, faith, faith giving. Now, in a sense, follow me now, in a sense, tithing does not require faith. It requires math and obedience. Now, remember, the Bible says whatsoever is not of faith is sin. I've got that. The Bible says the just shall live by faith. I got that. But in this sense, God provided me 10. I don't have to trust him for the 10. I've got the 10. I have to figure out of the 10 what he wants me to give and obey. 
of an offering. Offering doesn't take faith. Now, bear with me. I understand whatsoever is not of faith is sin. I understand the just shall live by faith. But God, I've got nine left. Now, those nine left, I don't have to trust you for it. I've got it. What of what I've got do you want me to give to, towards the, the need for the piano? So faith giving is, is and, and different churches approach this differently. So I'm not trying to rock the boat. I'm just trying to challenge you about the need of the world to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and just remind you that it requires money to do so. That's the bottom line. So faith giving is when a Christian gives over and above their tithe, over and above an offering, for the purpose of taking the gospel to the, those who have never heard. That's the Reader's Digest version of the subject. Okay, Now, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, and 10 are about the subject of faith giving. Let me remind you, think this through with me. Faith giving doesn't require math and obedience. It only requires one thing. What is it? Faith. I've got to trust God to give through me what he probably has not given to me or is not going to give to me for the purpose in this consideration, for the purpose of um, world, world missions. This is how we challenge people at home to do this. I realize you're dealing with a yearly. That's perfectly fine. But I've said to people, look, you want it, people have often said, Pastor, how would I know how much I would have to give weekly to have it be required faith? How much would I have to give? How would I know? Like, is he going to, like, write it in the sky? He could, probably won't. This is what I say to him. Pray to God. This, no, hold on. Think. Dear God. If I gave $1 a week to missions over and above my tithe and offering, would that take faith? And some people would say, yes, it would. I'm like, at the, I'm stretched to the limit. I want to be involved. I want to make a commitment. If I was going to give $1 a week to missions over and above my tithe and offerings, that's going to take faith. Other people would say, no, that wouldn't take faith. If I just canceled the newspaper, I'd have a dollar. If I just... You know, one less visit a week to Starbucks, I'd have, well, I'd have a new investment account. I don't know how much it costs to go to, I don't know how much it goes to cost to go to Starbucks, but anyway. And here's what happens. You say, God, would it take faith if I gave $2? No. Nope. So in a year, God, if I gave this year to the mission program $52, dollar a week, $50, would that take faith? If I gave $2, $4, $5, $10, whatever it is, when you come to the matter, that the amount that's going to take faith, all of a sudden, your mind, your body, and maybe even vocally your voice, you'll say, whoa, 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 whoa. It might like, sound like this. God, would it take faith for me to give a dollar a week to missions? Over? No, no, no. God, would it take two? No. Would it take three, five, ten? God, would it take 15? And all of a sudden, I say, whoa, $15 over and above my tithe and my offerings. Whoa. And I say to people, there's the amount. Because you balked at that amount. That amount is going to take faith. You see, the point is, it's not about the amount of money. This really bothers, confuses some people. It's not, about the amount, it's not about the amount of money. It's about faith. You see, if you're a multimillionaire, let's say I was a multimillionaire, and I said to the pastor, Pastor, I'm feeling really generous today. I'd like to give the church $100,000. Do you know what he would say? Thank you. <laughs> He might say to me, boy, Chris, you're a multimillionaire. You're giving $100,000 to the church. That's a great step of faith. It might not be for a multimillionaire. Follow what I'm saying? It's not the amount. It's the amount that causes me to say, God, 
I will have to trust you for that amount on a yearly basis. It'll have to come from you. Now, okay, that's the end of the introduction. Notice it, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse number 7. It says, Therefore, as ye abound in everything, faith, utterance, and knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love to us, see that ye abound in this grace also. And if you read and study 2 Corinthians 8, 9, and 10, it is not debatable that the grace he's talking about is the grace of giving. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about the, the grace of giving. Notice he says, not by commandment. Same verse. You can't command someone to give by faith. Now just think about that. You can't command a person to get saved. People are saved by grace through faith. You can't command a person to get saved. Obeying a command is not exercising your faith. Paul's saying, I, I, speak, I speak not by commandment, verse 8, but by the occasion of the forwardness of others and to prove the sincerity of your love. He's not, you can't command a person to give by faith. Then he says by the forward, forwardness of others. That's the eagerness of others, the, the hate of others. Here's what he's saying. Paul had seen other Christians grow in this grace also, the grace of giving, and he saw the blessing that it was to their life. And he wants the Corinthians to experience the same blessing. Does that make sense? Maybe you can think back to when you first got saved, or maybe you've been saved for a long time, and sometimes those of us who have been saved for a long time, we struggle sometimes to walk by faith. And someone comes along and says to us, listen, you just have to trust God for that. You just have to trust God. And we think, well, I can't. No, you just need to. You need to trust God. And we trust God, and we go around telling everybody, we trusted God. God did this for us almost like he never had done it before for anybody else. And it's our way of saying to them, you need to experience this grace also. You've watched other people give by faith. You need to give by faith so you can experience the excitement and the blessing of God when you simply give to him by, by, by faith. So he says in verse number eight, and to prove the sincerity of your love. That word prove there is the idea with, of testing something with a view to approve it. it when, I, when I wrote that in my notes, it made me think of when your, your wife asks you to taste your favorite dish when she's making it. Now, does she know you're going to like it? Well, sure. She's made it many times before. You liked it every time before. But she says, are you making such and such? Yes, I am. Why don't you taste it and make sure that it's, you know, what it's supposed to be? Well, she knows what's what it's supposed to be. She knows what it's going to taste like. But she wants you or us to experience, again, that uh, satisfaction that comes from tasting your favorite dish as she makes it. Do you, does, that, does that make sense to you? He says to, to, to prove, then he says to prove the sincerity of your, of your love in verse number eight. Well, the word sincerity is simple. It's the word genuineness, right? And that word love is the Greek word that describes the love of God. 
describes God's love, and my sermon is not about that. Okay, now we're to the point. What love is he talking about? Quick review. You regularly, systematically give to support your church. When there's an offering, you say, God, there's a special need. I want to be generous. How much do I have to give generous out? God, our church is a mission-minded church. I want to give by faith to take the gospel to the regions beyond. Paul says, and demonstrate the sincerity of your love. Well, what love is he talking about? Love for what? Love for whom? Now, let me mention three things. Number one, he's talking about our love for God. Would you stop and think about for a moment how long you've been saved? How long have you been saved? I was saved in the fall of 1974. Now, you know, that when I say that, that doesn't sound very long ago to me. But then I think 84, 94, 2004, 2014, and pretty soon it'll be 2024. Do you remember the people or the persons God used to share the gospel with you? Do you remember the circumstance or the circumstances? Because most people are not saved the first time they hear the gospel. They could be, but most people are not. Do you remember the events that came together, the morning, the day, the night, whenever it was, the place, the person, when you got saved? The Bible says, for by grace are ye saved through faith. Through faith. I grew up Roman Catholic. I'm not being unkind, but only to say I grew up thinking I was working my way to heaven. The only one of the few memories I have of my grandmother, my grandmother on one side died before I was born. My grandmother on the other side died when I think I was four. One of the only memories I have of her was saying, Chrissy, when people die, God has a great big scale. And he takes all the good things you did and puts it on one side of the scale. He puts all the, takes all the bad things you did and puts it on the other side of the scale. And he weighs the good out, see if the good outweighs the bad. And he said, look, Chrissy, nobody, the good outweighs the bad, so we all go to purgatory. And this isn't a lesson about purgatory, but... When I heard at four years old, bear with me, when I heard that explanation of the good news, how to get to heaven, as a kid I thought, well, I'm not going to make it. I'm just not going to make it. And so I grew up thinking, you earn your way, you work your way to heaven. I was always trying to stay one step ahead, you know, on the scale. And um, through a series of events, I found myself at a, Word of Life rally in East Hartford, Connecticut. I'm not promoting Word of Life. I found myself at a Word of Life rally in East Hartford, Connecticut, and the preacher was Jack Wurtson. Any of you ever hear Jack Wurtson preach? Yeah. Jack Wurtson wasn't a preacher. He was a screamer. He was just a screamer. And I'm not criticizing him. That's how he preached. And uh, this is what I remember. I remember him reading Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, and those words, not of works, lest any man should boast. And I thought to myself, Chris, you're in trouble because that man is reading from the Bible and just read, you can't work your way to heaven. Those rallies, if you ever went to those, were I don't remember, but in my mind's eye, the invitation was like about three days long. You know what I'm saying? 
one hymn on and on and on and on, and then if that wasn't, they'd switch verses, you know, and on and on. It, it probably wasn't that way, but it's the way it strikes me looking back at it. And I remember sitting there. My father turned to me. I, I ended up sitting between my father and the youth leader. My father turned to me, and he said, Chris, he said, wouldn't you like to go forward and get saved? And I looked back at him, I said, no, I wouldn't. Now, you might think, well, that was a terrible way to talk to your father. It was just me, that was just our way of saying, no, thank you. Then the invitation went on, and it went on. Pretty soon, the youth leader turned to me. By the way, the youth leader was the same age as my father. The idea that to minister to youth, you have to be a young person is not true. It helps to be able to keep up to be a young person. This was a man, same age as my father, who just loved young people. He turned to me and he said, Chris, he said, wouldn't you like to go forward and get saved? And I said, yes, I would. And there I went, down the aisle, met a student from the Word of Life Bible Institute, went into a little cafetorium, they called it, sat down at a table, and he led me to Christ. I only had two things on my mind when I walked out of there. Where are we going to eat? because, you know, in those days it was Burger King or McDonald's and which car the girls riding in. Because we car, kind of car, the sponsors drove the cars, and I'm thinking, okay, I'm riding in the car back with the girls. So which one's the girls? And that's where I'm going. You might be thinking to yourself, Chris, that wasn't a very deep spiritual thought. It wasn't a deep spiritual thought at all. I really had no idea what had just happened to me. All I would have known for sure is if you said to me, what did you just do? I would have said, well, according to these people and according to the Bible, I'm going to go to heaven when I die. And I've spent these years learning what that meant that night. When we demonstrate our love through giving to missions, we're demonstrating our love for God. God, you did this for me. You saved me. He didn't have to save you. He doesn't have to give you the gift of eternal life. He didn't have to allow those circumstances where someone gave you a tract, shared the gospel. And people in the regions beyond, on the other side of the world, they didn't choose to be born there. They didn't choose to be born in a country that is a closed country. They didn't choose to be born into a people group that's an unreached people group. They didn't choose to be born speaking a language that's never been written. And there are over 3,700 of them. They didn't pick any of that. So when I step out and give by faith to take the gospel to the world, I'm saying, God, God, I love you, and I want them to love you too. God, I can't pay the whole bill, but by faith I can give something so that somebody can go tell them that Christ died for them. So someone can turn to them and say, wouldn't you like to get saved too? We demonstrate the sincerity of our love for God when we give to take the gospel to the region beyond. Now, I don't want to make a big deal of this, but what if we want What does that say? Quite a thought, isn't it? Okay, number two, and there's only three. Number two is this. We demonstrate our love for the church that God has placed us in. God's put us in a church. And you know, Christian, and uh, I have no idea. I know little about the Spring Meadow Baptist Church. I don't, you know, I know very little. But you know, sometimes church life's a challenging life. It's a challenging life. And we need the sense that God places us into a church. God put me here. And by the way, 
after God puts you into a church and you get a little more information, don't go complain to the pastor. Go complain to God if he puts you there. Because I've got news for you. No marriage is perfect. No church is perfect. There's no such thing. I was riding with two missionaries. Rodney Myers was one of them. I'm in the back seat. They're talking. Missionary B says to missionary A, Rodney Myers, my wife and I have never had a fight. I'm just sitting in the back seat, and I thought, never had a fight. He, he went on to say, we've never so much as had a disagreement. I'm just, I'm just sitting in the back seat, and I'm thinking, well, he must mean, you know, fisticuffs. And then I thought to myself, if they've never had a disagreement, somebody in that relationship never gets to talk. Right? Because, like, you get to talk, you're going to have a disagreement. And church life's like that. You notice that? People are just people. A pound's a pound the world around. I said to my wife one day, well, she, I, I said, you know, I wasn't too pleased with my preaching. How did it go? You know what she said? You've done better. <laughs> I didn't say, that's it. You're done. And look, God moves people from church A to church B, but when God puts you in a church and you say, God, this is a mission-hearted church, and by faith, I'm going to make a commitment to the missions, I'm going to call it program. You know what I'm saying, the missions ministry of the church. You're not only saying, God, I love you. You're saying, church, I love you. I'm here. I'm with you. You might even be saying, you know what, I don't even like everything. You might even be saying, you know, there's some things here really tick me off. I mean, if there's not something here ticks you off, something's wrong. You're not human or something. It's like that guy saying, you know, me and my wife, we've never had a disagreement. I wanted to call his bluff, but it was one of the few occasions I just, like it's in the annals of history, the days Chris kept his mouth shut. You know, the only thing, this is not political, honestly, but one of the few things I have in common with the former President Trump is I have very un, few unspoken thoughts. <laughs> you know, hits my brain and out it comes. But when God puts you in a church and you accept it with all its imperfections, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 25, it says that there should be no schism in the body, that the members should have the same care one for another. That word schism means tear. Tear a muscle is one of those things you don't have to experience. You just have to say the words. You know what I'm saying? Like if I said to you, I dislocated my kneecap, you should go, ouch. It's one of those things you can feel without experiencing it, a tear. And sometimes churches have tears. And so Nancy and I, since March 1st, we've been, we spent four months on the road, cumulatively, two months away, home for a few weeks, two months on the road, and many journeys in between. I want to tell you, the devil's having a field day in churches. And uh, sort of the common denominator could be COVID. You could point the finger at COVID, but it's not really that. What it, it revealed, and this is general statements that, you know, but it revealed how people's connection to their church, so many people in 2021, it hangs by a thread. And that's not good. It's not good. So I demonstrate the sincerity of my love to God when I say, I'm in, God, because I love you and I want them to love you. They don't even know you and I want them to love you. God, I'm in because you have placed me in this church. 
I show my love for the church. And showing your love for the church is not your agreement with every single solitary thing. A number of years ago, there was a big-name preacher. I'm not even going to say his name. But there was difficulties with him and his church and his ministry. And so some, somebody, I don't know how they ever came out with this, but they come out with these big buttons. And you put it on the button, and it said, 100% in that preacher's name, you're a backer. It would be me like, no disrespect to dead, be like me passing out buttons this morning saying, 100% schwanky. That's what it was like. Big name, world-known preacher was the name. Guy came to me and he said, hey, Chris, uh, you don't have your 100% button. I said, let me tell you something, buddy. Some days I'm not even 100% myself. Let everyone 100% him. You can forget that. I express my love for the church by saying, church, I'm part. I can't pay it all. I can give something. I can't support any of these missionaries completely, but I can, I can be involved. Here's number three, and it's this. It demonstrates my love for people who've never heard the gospel. Um, I'm not talking simply about lost people, and I'm not demeaning that, lost people. I'm talking about lost people who have never heard a clear presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ one time. Just one time. The need of the unreached is very difficult for us to wrap our head around. I don't understand down our way in Florida, you know, I like Tennessee might be a little like this. Like we have a church on every corner. And you say, like, what's the difference between this church and that church? And at the end of the day, it's not much. Now, look, I realize there are differences, and I understand acknowledging differences are important. I realize sometimes you just have to say, Lord, we can't put up with this anymore. But you know, there's village after village after village after village. There are tens of thousands of villages in India. I've been there probably 25 times in India. There is no one there. There is no one there preaching the gospel. No one's going to steal your sheep. No such thing. And there's places like that all over the world. Ken Fielder, I said earlier, of Worldview Ministries in Sunday School, I told the men, Ken says, there are 3,733 languages that don't have one word of the Scripture in their language. That's hard to wrap your head around. Let me ask it this way. If your language was one of those, what would that say about you? What if your language was one of those languages, one of the 3,733, there's not one word of the Scripture in that language? What would that say about you? What would that say about everyone that came before you in your village? What would that say about everyone in your village for the foreseeable future? You could just stamp lost. It's hard to wrap your head around it, isn't it? Ken says <clears throat> there are 7,407 unreached people groups. Now, an unreached people group, this is their different, different definitions for unreached people groups. Ken describes an unreached people group as a group that their resources and knowledge of the gospel is not sufficient for them to evangelize the group on their own. Does that make sense? They need outside help to reach their own people. Ken says, 7,407. What if I was one of those people groups? I'd get up today and, you know, most of those groups, I wouldn't have to decide what to wear because I'd be wearing the same thing I wore yesterday. I wouldn't have to decide what I was having for breakfast because I don't have breakfast there. Maybe they have two meals a day there, whatever. 
my life would be very simple. I wouldn't have to decide which toy to play with because the toys are probably going to be sticks and stones and things like that. Now, there are some people that are up above that that are non-reached people groups, but my point is what would it say about me if I was one of those people groups? You could just stamp it lost, couldn't you? You just stamp lost. When you come to the word selah in the Bible, do you skip it? When you read along the Bible, it says selah. The word selah is found 75 times in the Bible. Where are most of those? They're in the book of Psalms. They're not sure what it means. Do you know that? They think it's a musical notation that means pause. It'd be like this. A mighty fortress is our God. A bulwark never failing. Think about the 3,700 people, not a word of the scripture in their language. And stop and think about it. Think about the 7,400 people groups, unreached. Then we stop and think about it. And I demonstrate my love for the lost when I say, God, I'm glad to support the church on a regular basis to help keep the lights on and pay those bills. God, I'm glad to be generous when you've given me a little extra and there's a need. I can't buy a piano, but I can help, right? I demonstrate my love for the lost when I say, God, by faith, I've got to try, I'm going to trust you to give some money through me to take the gospel to the region beyond you. You know, he takes what I can trust him for, and this brother trusts him for, and this sister trusts him for, and puts it together and sends missionaries, sends missionaries to the regions beyond. Now, there are some missionaries that are not exclusively with unreached people groups. I understand that. There are some what we call support activities that are very necessary and helpful to assist missionaries. I understand that. But the target of all that is people who've never heard the gospel of Christ one time. So when I make a faith commitment to missions, I'm saying, God, God, I really love you. You know, I really, I really made a terrible, terrible mistake I bought Nancy a couple things from Valentine's Day. Guess where they are? They're in my desk at home. Now, you're going to think that's terrible. How many of you think that's terrible? How many of you are too embarrassed to admit you think that's terrible? <laughs> Preacher. So I said to her yesterday, I said, Nancy, I have, uh, I have something bad to tell you. Whatever, however I wear She said, what's that? I said, well, I got you a couple things for Valentine's Day. They're home in my desk. Guess what she said back? I have something bad to tell you. <laughs> I got something for you for Valentine's Day, too. It's home in Florida. <laughs> I thought, whew, dodged a bullet on that one. See, we demonstrate our love by doing something. So we demonstrate our love for God. We demonstrate our love for the church. We demonstrate our love for the lost and our desire for them to hear the gospel. We're saying, God, how much could I trust you to give through me to missions in the next year to, to show 
to have a public demonstration of my love. One more thing, and I'll be done. It's possible you're here this morning, and you're not sure where you'd die if you'd go to heaven. You know, the devil the devil's works overtime to cause people who are not sure where they're going to go when they die to have that doubt until after they die. It's called, as I said earlier, blinding the minds of them which believe not. Let me tell you something. The Spring Meadow Baptist Church is not about money. The Gospel Furthering Fellowship is not about money. Chris Lapino, we are not about money. The Gospel is not about money. The Gospel is about a loving God who became flesh and died for the sins of the world And if you're not sure that he's your Savior, he wants you to be sure of that today. And it won't have nothing to do with the money. But then after you know you're going to go to heaven when you die, you're going to say, you know what? There's other people who need to know they're going to go to heaven when they die. And that, friend, takes money. So if you're here and not sure you're saved, don't let the devil distract you. It's not about money. It's about demonstrating the sincerity of our love. Let's pray, and then Pastor Schwenke will come. Dear Lord, thank you for the word.